Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is snip two from our amazing interview with Ellen Lawyers. This time, Ellen talks us through how trade finance is practically implemented in projects and purchases around the world. Just a quick note, over the summer period, the frequency of our podcast will reduce down to once per week. That's to allow you guys to not fall too far behind on your episodes as you might be out on holidays. We'll be back to twice a week in September where Guillaume and I have a really exciting special series planned for you all. I just want to add in here that it's been an amazing journey and we all wanted to thank you for being such supporters of the podcast. Um, we never thought it would reach the thousands of listens that it has today and it, it's just been a really good experience overall. So thank you so much for listening. And with that, on to the episode. What's, I mean, where does it uh, appear in the treasury department, trade finance, and what does it look like in a best-in-class treasury department exactly? Depends a lot on the size of the company. Um, so if you are a small company, you might not necessarily have a lot of these instruments. Mm -hmm. Also depends on the sector in which you're active. If you're doing a lot of international trades, uh, you might use it more often okay. than a company which is just doing construction projects um, for just... People living in houses in Belgium, you might not necessarily come across these type of instruments, even mm -hmm. though you might be a big company. But if you're working a lot internationally, um, doing large construction companies, mm -hmm. for example, for um, B2B trades, so yeah. not necessarily to uh, just you and I, but more to other companies. Um, and then if you go to these larger companies that have a lot of trade finance instruments, mm -hmm. you usually have a team of experts handling them. Okay. So you have a team of trade finance within okay. the company. Um, and these are people that know these instruments inside out. Mm -hmm. They know the language because it's usually type of yeah, legal language. You, uh, you agree with the bank and so on. So that can be quite technical. Okay. Um, and it's also very time sensitive. For example, the bid bonds, mm -hmm. you can imagine there's a lot of pressure behind this because the salespeople in your sales department, mm -hmm. they are replying to that bid, but they don't usually realize they need to give a bid bond as well. Okay. So then they come knocking on your door a couple of days before the deadline. Ah, I need that bid bonds. Then the trade finance team needs to call the bank immediately asking for, okay, can you make sure I have this guarantee in time? So okay. there's a bit of time sensitivity. So if you go to large corporates, they usually have a team specialized in trade finance to make sure that all of these items are yeah, handled with, uh, with yeah. In a timely manner. In a timely manner, uh, exactly. That's what I was looking for. And uh, so that's interesting. So actually, so in bigger companies, there will be a dedicated team specifically for trade finance. And this team will need to be uh, in close contact with the sales team in order to be able to, uh, I mean, answer on time and uh, be... Yeah, exactly. Time, time if we talk about best in class within Treasury, mm -hmm. we also see um, that these companies usually have a policy okay. around trade finance, which is not only sitting within Treasury on like, how do you need to issue and so on, mm -hmm. but it goes wider. It also goes to the sales teams that need to be aware, okay, when do we need to make sure that we provide a guarantee okay. and when not? It's especially when do we not provide a guarantee okay. because it puts our company at risk. And also, um, we need to look at the, the departments that are like um, looking at the suppliers and also saying there, okay, when do we need to ask a guarantee from our suppliers? Mm -hmm. Which are the requirements when we would like to get that? 
because it's yeah mitigating risk. But if that trade finance team is telling you, okay, I need one now, but the project has started, all the contractual negotiation has ended, then they don't have any leverage anymore to ask for a guarantee. Mm-hmm. So it needs to happen upfront. That's why it's important to have these policies in place. And that's why that team can also help with shaping all of that, basically. What's the size of these trades that we're talking about? Like, at what point do you need to start considering uh, some form of trade finance instruments? Um, It can be multiple sizes and amounts, let's say. I've seen a lot of different, if you focus on bank guarantees now, a lot of different sizes. Seen bank guarantees of like two or three hundred euros. Where you it's could wonder, there. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of trust, but you could also wonder, yeah, then it's maybe easier to just give like 200 euros uh, in advance and, and be, be done with it. But sometimes it's a requirement. Um, so if the other party is really mm. requesting to have the bank in between, mm-hmm. then you might need to give it. But usually it goes to a bit larger amounts um, and it can go up to 10 million, for example, 20 million. Uh, it depends a little bit. So it also depends on the size of your underlying project, of course, because your bank guarantee will never be larger than the underlying project and will usually also be covering for only a part of the full project. Mm -hmm. So you have in your policy then certain percentages that you can assign to um, specific bank guarantees. So you can say, for example, if I'm doing a performance guarantee, I would like to have 50% of the performance covered by a guarantee. So 50% of the total amount covered by a performance guarantee. So yeah. that's a bit the idea, but it depends a lot on the, on the company itself and also on the business in which they are operating. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there some, you just mentioned requirements, uh, are there some where it's mandatory to have a, a trade finance uh, instrument involved in a, in a trade? I don't know, I'm thinking about like public, uh, exactly. public bid, for instance. Big that's bids for, for government, for example, they can ask for it, okay. but also for other companies. Sometimes it is in the bid requirements mm-hmm. to make sure that you issue a guarantee in time. Okay. If not, you're not participating to the bid. Okay, so, so that's it's quite clear of the, of the quote in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Very clear. Um, so who issued those documents exactly? I mean, how does it work? Is it, you mentioned several times, bank, obviously with the bank guarantee, we could imagine that banks are involved. Uh, so what are the different counterparties involved in a trade finance deal exactly? So it can either be a bank indeed, okay. um, that's the most obvious uh, example I would say, mm-hmm. or an insurance company. Some insurance companies also issue guarantees okay. or letters of credit. Um, and then what you need to yeah, issue a guarantee is of course a credit line. So the bank will not yeah, give a guarantee just for your pretty eyes, okay. but they will check your credit, credit worthiness. They will check if they can give you a credit line mm-hmm. and it will be usually yeah, involved with other financing um, activities that they are helping you with. So okay. it will be a combo deal, basically. Um, and then if you have good relationship with that bank, you can also negotiate the fees. Okay. Because of course, they don't issue a guarantee for free. Obviously. So you need to pay for it. Um, if you have a good relationship, you might also get a bit of discount there. Okay. Um, and yeah, the client service might also be better, of course. Obviously. But that goes with the relationship. Um, another party that could be involved is, for example, an export agency. Mm-hmm. If we talk about letters of credit, because with the letter of credit, you have certain documents you need to fulfill to make sure the payment happens. Okay. So there, um, the export agency could be involved to, yeah, make sure that the bill of lading, which is typically an instrument you use 
to indicate if um, a good has been passing by certain uh, export uh, agencies that they need to provide a document, they need to fill it in and they will be one of your stakeholders okay. to make sure that you get the goods in time, but also the documentation and you can make uh, the payment. Okay, so it can become quite, quite expensive. If you pay for the instrument, if you potentially pay for the credit line, um, can all this be done internally as well? I don't know, I'm thinking about big group level entity. Uh, can the supplier or the client ask for a guarantee of that sort, but from a parent uh, entity from the same group, for instance, like one that is credit worthy? Uh, yes. Such, such no, a it's, a, it's a good point you touch upon indeed. Okay. So sometimes companies also provide um, parent company guarantees, okay. which are issued by the parent of a certain group and but, not by the bank. Okay, so parents maybe, can you define that, that word exactly? What, uh, so um, it can be, I am a construction company globally. Mm-hmm. Um, I have subsidiaries in Europe. I have some in China. I have some in... Uh, the US, for example, but my head office is a company in the US. Okay. So that's my yeah, consolidated head office. Mm-hmm. If I am going to participate in a bid from one of the branches in Europe, yeah. I can ask my parents to write me a bank guarantee and tell them, look, if that small subsidiary in Europe will be will go bankrupt, mm-hmm. the parent in the US will still the provide... Provide financing, so okay. they will still pay out the amount of the bank guarantee in case you go bankrupt. Okay. But of course, uh, for the external party, it's less, yeah, sure that it will happen, right? Obviously. Um, so sometimes they will accept to have a corporate guarantee, mm-hmm. but other times they will not accept it, and you will need to go to the bank for okay. the bank guarantee. So it's again this uh, trust uh, principle on whether you involve a third part, exactly. party or not. Okay. Yeah. Clear. Um, so we touched upon systems uh, in corporate treasury in the previous episodes. Uh, we talked about the TMS, the Treasury Management System, uh, the Payment Hub, this kind of uh, this kind of things. Are there systems that can be leveraged to optimize trade finance in general, or is it part of uh, the TMS functions, for instance? Uh, how does it work? There are specific systems indeed for trade finance. Okay. Um, so they are they are tailor made and you can there record your instruments properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, some of them also have bank connectivity, so that you just okay. request within the system a new bank guarantee, and it then communicates automatically with the bank to ask the bank to issue that guarantee. Mm-hmm. And one of the bank communications then happens via SWIFT, for example. I think you touched upon that in the previous episode. Yeah, um, So there are specific SWIFT messages only for trade finance, where okay. you then have all the, the details of the instruments, that are sent in a structured format to the bank. But of course, this is again, for the larger companies, quite interesting. If you're a bit smaller, you could use the tools of the bank. Mm -hmm. Some banks have their own tools in which you can also see the bank guarantees that are outstanding. So that might be interesting. Or yeah, if you're a bit smaller, uh, yeah, good old fashioned Excel might be even sufficient. (laughs) Always work. So that might also work, but it depends a bit on on how you operate within your company, of course. Okay, so the maturity of your treasury department, obviously, the size, if you have a dedicated team for uh, trade finance, I guess you would look for specialized tools, maybe. Exactly. So it more or less depends on the size of the company and the treasury department. Exactly. Okay. And then maybe something else to mention there, it's not a system, Mm -hmm. but you could also use a classic vault uh, to store your documents. Okay, old-fashioned. Old-fashioned, fireproof, okay. uh, <laughs> but you would require it, a physical vault, like a safe. A, a safe. Okay. 
like within the wall. Uh, yeah, 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 very safe. <laughs> Behind the painting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But it's not so interesting to steal these documents, so okay. <laughs> probably it's not required behind the painting. But um, usually these original documents need to be sent back to the bank to close out the guarantee. Okay. Um, so if you don't have them anymore, it might become a problem and it will be yeah, difficult to, to fix that. Mm -hmm. So that's why you see that some companies keep them in a yeah, special vault only for documents. Um, except, of course, if you have digital originals, which is coming up recent years. Obviously. Companies want to digitize as much as possible. They don't want to have paper sitting in a vault somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so you can have digital originals. There are specific tools to issue that and have one specific copy. Mm -hmm. And some of these tools also work on blockchain, okay. which is uh, trade finance is a typical example to use blockchain. Okay. Is it something that uh, is used right now, like blockchain to ensure uh, the right execution of trade finance deals? There are certain uh, trade finance tools that use blockchain as a basis okay, to okay. exchange documents. Yeah. Okay. Because again, it comes back to this uh, document that is binding and you need a unique reference. So it makes exactly. sense to use the blockchain. Okay. Yes. Very good. Why, why are the originals so important? I mean, if everyone has, if you have, like, for example, if I have a normal contract, I don't necessarily need the original contract. I can have a photocopy of the contract. I could have a digitized scan of the contract. Why is in this specific context the original so important? So maybe I can uh, give a little of uh, input on that. Um, back when I was working at the bank, I was uh, dealing with some domestic guarantees. So it wasn't in an international context, but uh, there was such a thing. And um, the reason for the bank and uh, overall the good execution of the deal Uh, requesting the original is uh, more or less an old-fashioned thing. It means uh, historically we needed the original document to be able to uh, enforce it uh, in case, I don't know, it was taken out into a trial. We need to settle this, uh, this deal. Some of the counterparts didn't fulfill their uh, engagement. So in the eyes of the law, we needed the original document for this. And uh, a bank will always require it to close uh, the deal, to say, okay, this the party has uh, fulfilled its engagement. So therefore, with uh, an explanation that yes, it's a done deal, plus the original document, we agree on not invoicing anymore uh, for this domestic guarantee. So I think it's mostly for historical reasons. Uh, now everything is done um, digitalized so it's uh, working differently but we have this blockchain concept so we have a uh, unique reference as well i guess that's that would be the answer makes sense i hope the digitized documents will be the future yeah <laughs> we really need it yeah. <laughs> so if, if i could summarize then mm -hmm. uh, Ellen, so this is how i understand trade finance in my non-corporate treasury background so please tell me if i've got it right um trade financing is essentially ensuring trust in large-scale deals, typically large-scale deals, right? That could be international, it could be domestically. It is all done through an intermediary like a bank, or in some cases even a parent company, or some form of guarantor between the buyer and the seller of a service or good, right? Exactly. That's is it also services or is it also services? Also services, yeah. right? So that can be done through different instruments like uh, bank guarantees, which is like an insurance policy that the bank issues It says, if you do not deliver, then the bank will pay out. Of course, the bank charges for that insurance, but that's one way. And that could be a legal requirement, even for example of a public service good. Like something like the government is going to buy a service, they might say, we have to have all of our deals done through a bank guarantee, for example. Another one could be a letter of credit, which is 
um, the, the buyer would put the money into an intermediary and say, hey, look, they're holding the money. The bank approves, yes, I have the money in my accounts. Uh, when you have met your obligations, I will pay it out. And then the seller goes, okay, I'm happy to go ahead with this because now I trust the bank, even if I don't trust the supplier, the, the actual buyer itself, right? Um, is that a good overview of why we do trade financing? And, and exactly. That summarizes completely. Thanks for that. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> all right. Ellen, thanks a lot for having us and uh, giving us all these insights on trade finance. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. It was nice to uh, participate in the podcast. Great pleasure. Thank you.